This is Blurring the Byline, a bi-weekly conversation about news, media, and the written word from the perspective of two writers in different fields. Okay, okay, because here's... Okay, let me give just my whole, like, monologue about Lemonade. What's the second movie? (laughs) What second movie? This is something that a lot of people can relate to. My name is Riley. I'm a, uh, a writer of fiction and poetry. Um, I'm currently a student at the University of California, Riverside, uh, majoring in creative writing. I am a member of the editorial board for the multidisciplinary uh, journal Audiomis, and I'm also a first reader for the digital fiction Liminal Stories. And I'm here with a longtime friend of mine since I think we were about five years old, uh, Julia Briette. So you can tell them a little bit about yourself, Julia. Yeah. I'm a journalist living in Washington, D.C. I graduated this year from the University of Texas at Austin, and I've written for a couple different newspapers, um, and (laughs) that's about it. (laughs) Was that you trying? You don't want want to name them? No. (laughs) I know you worked for the Daily Texan. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So UT Austin's college newspaper, the Daily Texan. Right. There's the Alexandria Times, which is here. Mm -hmm. uh, Well, in Alexandria, Virginia, near D.C. Right. Okay, so um, that's the other thing about us, is that um, Julia lives and works in D.C., and I live and work in Los Angeles. So we kind of have a little bit of a distance there between us, so we're recording remotely. A distance, he means geographically only, <laughs> and not emotionally. Because no, there's no emotional distance or boundary. None whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah. No, we have our our friendship is is not only bomb, but um, yeah, it withstands even. Has withstood time, know, like... distance, um, <laughs> alcohol. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yes. So I wanted um, Julia is really good at kind of explaining things in a way that only makes sense in my brain, but then she can actually verbalize it. So I kind I don't of know if that's accurate. But. It, we'll see. But I wanted um, Julia to kind of explain the title so that the people listening could get a sense of what we were going for there. Yeah. Also, can we, we can we call the audience the people from here on? The out? people. Just the people. The people are listening. <laughs> um, when we were thinking of the concept of this podcast in general, it took us literally until what yesterday to finalize the. the it was either yesterday or the title? day before. Yeah. But blurring the byline comes from I mean we were talking about we're talking about blending our two fields creative writing and journalistic writing. And in journalism, I mean for anyone who doesn't know what a um, byline is, basically so when you read an article the the author's name at the top, that's the byline. So we as authors of our own work, we're kind of, you know, coming together on this podcast to talk about the same topics but from different field experiences right and i also think it's interesting this kind of occurred to me last night i don't know if i told you about this but the concept of blurring the the byline i also think it's interesting how right now there is kind of a blur occurring between the journalist and the writer which is kind of interesting you look at um 
even podcasts especially are a form where we're seeing narrative come into reporting in a way that it probably hasn't as prominently for a long time. So I think that the roles are sort of shifting sometimes for better, sometimes for worse between someone who's creating a story and someone who's reporting on a story. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's an interesting thing for us to kind of be able to comment on since we're in those two different fields. Yeah. It's something we've talked about in journalism school a lot, actually, is your own personal voice in your reporting and how much or how little of that should be there. And people have, of course, varying perspectives on that and opinions. But Right, because it could be good in the sense that it would allow people to have a more personal connection to what they're reading. Um, And it could also be bad in the sense of bias or letting your opinions seep into something that maybe shouldn't be you know, the time to bring those in. Yeah. I think together what all of this means is that we're going to try to have very nuanced discussions about things. So it's, we're going to try to veer away from the kind of black and white contrast that the, you know, general, either the general public or the the mainstream news media or, you know, anyone is, is saying and just kind of pull apart things a little bit more and talk about the layers of whatever topic we're right yeah because there's some to. there's so much um there's so many different layers to things that kind of don't get looked at generally we have a a topic that comes up and then we have a narrative on that that will be picked up by one side or the other and then they'll continue that narrative until they've kind of beat it to death so something like i'm trying to think of an example maybe um like hillary's emails i think it could be an example of where it seemed like the mainstream media picked up a way of viewing that and kind of wouldn't let it go, regardless of what people said. You, like that second um, letter that that Comey put out before the election where he said, no, like this doesn't change anything. I still think she shouldn't be convicted. Like this doesn't prove any wrongdoing. Um, yeah. But that her doing things wrong was still the narrative that the media was was putting out there regardless. So I think that it's good to look beyond those things. And I think that sometimes people don't maybe because everyone in their field is looking at it a certain way. And I think we'll be able to maybe bridge some gaps there. I mean, that's all very lofty and very um, (laughs) kind of grand, but I think that there's, there's room for us to just kind of have conversations about these things based on what we feel and not necessarily trying to be authorities on these things in the strongest sense, but just kind of giving our thoughts and our perspective on them. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great way to put it. We that was a long way to put it, of... also. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be a theme as well, is that I'm going to be a little bit more concise, um, <laughs> because that's my MO right. um, in speaking and writing, which is going to be a funny like contrast to like your more creative like language and... <laughs> Verbal processing. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I think... So in this episode, we were going to kind of do a review of this year because i mean it's the end of the year and (laughs) it's time for reviews right (laughs) um and because because 2016 brought us a lot of uh, very unforgettable moments um in media and news in general and by that i mean 2016 is not going gently into that night you know no like it's very did I just make a poem reference? I mean, this is a writing podcast. I think you like, did make a literary mind. reference, but I honestly can't, which is sad, but I can't say to what. <laughs> well, 
I'm really trying to think of what that's from. <sighs> it's not remember. there. It's not there, but I know it's a poem. <laughs> but, I mean, in talking about 2016, we kind of have to talk about the election for a minute. Right. Because... There's, there's no way to really get around it, because it is what it is. <laughs> it isn't. Like, we're sorry. We're sorry, everyone. <laughs> I mean, no one wants to talk about it anymore, but everyone's still <laughs> talking about it, so it's kind of hard to escape it at this point. It's, yeah, no, it can't be escaped. <laughs> no. Um, and that's the thing is that even, like, next year, I feel like 2016 is going to be that, that ghost that haunts you. For, right. Like, ever and ever. Like, in well, but, history. <laughs> it's still so contentious, right? I think we kind of got spoiled in 2012 where Obama got reelected. It wasn't a huge surprise. And then everything kind of quieted down from there. It <sighs> Maybe 2008, right. there was more of a carryover discussion into the next year. But I think we're going to see this year that what people are talking about and, and the, the outpouring of outrage and emotion, it's not going to stop anytime soon, especially not before the inauguration. No, 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 especially not. I know leading up to the inauguration, there's going to be a lot going on here in D.C. anyway. But that's another matter. Um, <laughs> I think... <laughs> I mean, for me, like, the election will always kind of be known as hashtag election 2016. Like, I don't right. know about you, but I feel like I feel like in my brain, like, that's just how it's categorized as I, like, literally put thoughts from <laughs> this election into a folder, and that folder is labeled election 2016. Hashtag no, I, election 2016. I know what you mean, because it was, it wasn't just an election, it was this, it was an event, and it was this whole cultural experience it was just so far beyond yeah. a normal election <laughs> yeah and we'll i mean we'll be talking about hashtags later too so that's relevant right. but like yeah we wanted to kind of touch on that first um and also like kind of where artists have gone this year i mean in terms of taking their work to new levels aka beyonce <laughs> um something that interests me with the election Specifically, especially from your perspective as a journalist, there are a lot of conversations now happening about ways that the media obviously didn't predict that this was going to happen. I know that after election night, there were all these clips circulating of of different um, news anchors kind of, you know, months before saying, oh, there's no way he could win or or reacting to people who said he could win with just straight up laughing at them. Um, And then obviously we can see that he did win it kind of took a turn that no one expected i mean even the um i think we talked about this before the the new york times has their little um their little things on their website that show the percentages yeah so Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the night it was at like you know 90 percent hillary winning for no good reason literally literally at 90 percent yeah and then there was a point where all of a sudden it was at 90 percent trump and there was just no way to there was no in between it just it was after it was, I think it was Florida. Yeah. When that result rolled in, that was when the scales started tipping a bit. Right. But yeah, it was crazy to watch the, I was, I mean, I was watching, I was just kind of switching channels um, between all of the major news networks and every single one, like same level of shock. Like it didn't matter whether it was Fox News or MSNBC, it was shock. Right. Like just straight well even the trump campaign Um, seemed shocked they had been creating a narrative for for weeks about the election being rigged essentially as a way of sort of they were kind of doing damage control before the election had even happened 
And so it seemed yeah. like they didn't expect to win and then they did. And I mean, I think we can, that's a whole other topic, but we can somewhat see in Trump's transition and the bumps that have happened there, some ways that they weren't necessarily prepared yeah. for it. But it's interesting yeah. that the media failed so immensely in predicting that or even seeing it as a possibility. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely funny to see people, you know, these like seasoned reporters i mean they've been through a lot they've seen a lot happen and for them to be floored at this was was funny for me as a you know a young journalist who hasn't seen a lot happen i was like wow that's that's interesting that they but then you know once you think about it or at least once i thought about it i was actually not surprised at all i mean people get i think especially in dc there's this culture of I mean, just as politicians, you know, you know, they're well known for getting wrapped up in the DC rush and everything. That is the same for reporters. I mean, we come here from all over the place. I came here from Texas. And you start kind of once you're in the loop of what's going on in the capital and, you know, it's not I say loop as if it's a simple loop. It's a very complicated web. It's a spider web mm. of, you know, crazy shit i mean it's just a lot <laughs> right and once you're once you're on the inside of that it's very hard to see out mm -hmm. and i think i think that's what happened to so many people was that they they were in dc and everyone in dc was saying there's no way and every you know that's that wasn't the case across the country right so I think yeah. that they had a little bit of a blind spot there. I do think it's interesting hearing you describe that because I think exactly what you're describing is part of why Trump got elected, which is interesting to me. Mm -hmm. I think people have a, a sense that the media views, or at least the mainstream liberal-leaning media views the world through a very specific lens that isn't always accurate. And obviously there, there are arguments to be had there about conservative media also, but... I think that people feel that there isn't a diverse representation of interests or of perspectives in a lot of mainstream journalism right now. And I think sort of that loop you're talking about where it's a very singular perspective and people get wrapped up into it and they can't see outside of it. I think that's a way that people felt who aren't in major urban areas during this election. I think they felt like there are these loops of culture that they don't exist in um, and they don't want to be a part of. And so almost, I think that electing Trump was in defiance of that. Um, I mean, I'm not making any like statements about whether that's good or true or right. something that should have been done. But I, I do think that there was kind of a reactionary element to this election of, of feeling excluded from popular narratives. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think that was kind of the overall theme of it. But now it'll, I mean, it'll be interesting to see where that goes going forward in terms of who Trump is picking for his cabinet and, you know, what, what policies he's going to make a priority right. next year. Um, yeah, so it's interesting be, because obviously we had the drain the swamp, ongoing. the drain the swamp message that Trump was kind of sending throughout a lot of the campaign. And now we're seeing things that conflict with that and, and a lot of really outspoken conservatives on, on social media and stuff who were very vocally supporting Trump before the election are now starting to question his actions, which is kind of a, it's a fascinating turn yeah. to see certain people just kind yeah. of respond really negatively to what's happened since he's been elected, who were very positive prior to the election. 
No, that is interesting. Do you have you seen any specific examples? Of um, that? I'm trying to remember his name. Maybe I can search it really quick. Uh, he had a lot of tweets prior to the election that went viral. I think he used to be a congressman. Um, you've probably, okay. I'm sure you've seen his tweets. Probably. I can't remember right now. If I find it afterwards, I'll put it in the description of the podcast or something. I'll find some way to put it in there. But um, there were a lot of, you know, he he was kind of going along with that drain the swamp narrative in the beginning. And then afterwards, now, I mean, with especially with Rex Tillerson and things like that and the Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. exec that got tapped for a position has kind of been uh, in like a despair spiral on his Twitter, which is kind of funny to watch. Um, oh, man. So it's, it's just, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I know Mark Levin had some things to say about that as well. I don't listen to his show, but I know I saw something online about him, his reaction to uh, some of Trump's, you know, picks for the, all of these positions and how they're kind of not consistent with anything he said right. before yeah. <laughs> before getting elected. Um, but oh, this might be the guy. That might be the guy I'm talking about. No, this is a different guy. Never mind. But yeah. I think that a lot of I'm I'm curious to see I haven't checked in on like Alex Jones recently but I'm curious to see what someone like him is kind of feeling in a time when a lot of of extreme conservatives are kind of not happy with the choices that are being made right yeah, now. Yeah, maybe reeling a little bit. <laughs> yeah, which is you know, I'm yeah. not saying that people are kind of glib to see that happen, but you know. <laughs> Right, I know. Um, yeah, I think there was another question that I had. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, so something that I don't understand at all is is the role of um, polls and statistics and all these things. Is that that's a world that I have no real perspective on. I'm assuming that you probably yeah. have more of a concept of that because you work in this field. So, I mean, there have been a lot of discussions of should we even be trusting polls at this point? Should we be trusting? statistics that come in about elections or are we too far gone from that or do we need to change our methods or or kind of what went wrong there i think there's definitely some room for improvement in i mean i don't know i don't know polling in the sense that i'm not definitely not someone who's ever studied polling or done polling or anything of that nature so i can't you know i can't say specifically where it needs to improve or where it doesn't need to improve but just as a as a citizen, I feel like um, <laughs> I feel like the polls. I mean, the po- polls were very misleading, and I I think there there has to be a reason for that. Right. Um, I think a lot of people I talked to on on the Republican side prior to the election were saying that they had not been polled, like they had never, no one had ever called them, yeah. or you know things like that, where it's just you, you know you start to think. What's going on? What, you know, what was the glitch here in terms of, you know, like, why these people... I also think there was an element of shame involved before the election that kind of dissipated a little bit after those voters were, you know, vindicated in a way by Trump winning. Yeah. And, you know, before beforehand, I think they were... They may have either not answered truthfully in the, you know, to polling questions or... Or they had, you know, maybe maybe said that they were supporting a different Republican candidate or um, something of, you know, to that effect instead of coming out and saying, yes, I am supporting Donald Trump. 
because because of things that he said i'm not the type of person who would who's gonna blame the media for everything i think i think he has full responsibility for those things the things that he said that people might feel ashamed about i think that that's i think that's valid yeah um but i think that may have had an impact yeah i can't say to what extent there was sort of this thing that emerged where it was not just um viewing trump negatively or responding negatively to him for the things he was saying but also this idea of um that supporting him was an endorsement of these things which it obviously mm-hmm. it is but i think that a lot of people had a more varied perspective on it than that or maybe they were prioritizing certain elements of his beliefs over other ones um that's a that's a lot of what i right. saw happening at least in my in the people that i know personally um it was a lot of the you know that thought process of well he's he i don't agree with these things that he said but at least I know he's going to do this or he's going to do that instead of focusing on on what he said, um, which there are all kinds of arguments you can have about right. that. But that's fr- that's what I heard. generally. Yeah, I think so, too. A lot of the people that I knew weren't weren't at all ecstatic about certain things that he had said, like that tape that came out with uh, the Access Hollywood mm-hmm. thing with Billy Bush. No one was necessarily like, yes, I love this. This is great. Like, this is exactly what I want my candidate to be saying. Um Right. But I think people were willing to look past it because, uh, for better or worse, they were focused on things like um, the potential for there to be a lot of Supreme Court nominations, like this term of his mm-hmm. presidency. I mean, he'll have one going in, and then a lot of people are just kind of assuming that we'll get another one over the course of the term. But So it's kind of... <laughs> which is weird, right? I was talking I know, to someone a, about like that the other day. I think it may have been me because we were talking about <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg and how literally everyone talks about her dying yes, all the time. Yes, this was you talking to about this. Like she, yeah, no, we were just having this conversation. She can turn on the news and see people talking about like, is she gonna croak? Like, how weird? Yeah, how how strange that must be as an individual to like hear other people just speculating about your own your own health and like yeah. your own time of death like that's must be the strangest thing i feel like she's gonna hold out i feel like she's a tough but, woman and i think on moral grounds she's gonna she's come yeah this she's far. come this far i don't think she's going out anytime soon but we'll see <laughs> <laughs> well here we are speculating here i am speculating about but at least i'm speculating positively you know i'd rather do that than be like yeah she's got two years in her favor yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh um okay so maybe we can kind of because i think we're kind of on this track anyway of talking about how we've formed all sorts of different conceptions about people in the media in reaction to um what's happening here so sort of we wanted to go through um some of the top hashtags of this year and obviously a lot of them are politically related because this was so contentious and everything do you have that list yeah i think i might let me see if i pulled up that list again yeah so cnn published a list last Mm -hmm. week and yeah so they're they had a complete complete list of like the most used hashtags this year which i don't know i feel like they might have been a little premature on that but yeah just um, a tad something crazy could have happened just forgetting about december altogether (laughs) um but yeah, 
obviously election 2016 right. <laughs> and that's number two number see number three is pokemon go Perfect. so there's that and then uh, some of them are sports related you know there's the olympics euro 2016 um the oscars were a big one brexit yeah it's kind of related political event too which is interesting there were a lot of questions yeah. in their media that were similar to ours after that happened yeah, that was that was a interesting parallel. Hash, I mean, speaking of that, hashtag Trump was number six, seven. Yeah, yeah. number seven. No, sorry, number eight. So, My bad. K- kind of, this is an interesting. This is something that I've thought about briefly because I don't want to let my brain go too far into it. But do you think that kind of the memification of Trump that young people who largely didn't support him were doing actually ended up helping him? That's an interesting question. Oh my gosh, hold on. <laughs> An ad just started. <laughs> <laughs> so professional. Oh my god. Oh, that freaked me out. Okay. I think that's a really interesting question because I think it kind of plays into the whole social media's role in shaping public right. opinion and if, you know, how much of what we see on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, mm-hmm. and everything feed for those of you who are still on Tumblr. <laughs> Drag Shout me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was directly toward me, and I knew um, it. <laughs> <laughs> At least you know it. You know how how much of all of that, you know, subconsciously or consciously, it impacts what you think. Um, that's you know that's something that's totally out of my league to speak about. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to see if there's I, maybe research like, does literally just seeing someone more than someone else make you more inclined to vote for that person? Yeah. You know, even if you're seeing them in a negative context, just the... They're still familiar to Right, you. there's a saturation, there's like a familiarity. And I've seen a lot of people saying too that that social media kind of ran the risk of, of neutering Trump in a way. That's a weird way to say it, but that's the word that I've seen a lot where... Um, it almost kind of turned him into this like goofy, wacky, like he wasn't even a real person with real policies. The other, I've heard that too. Um, and the other like thing I've, I've seen, or I, I don't know if I've seen this or if it's just, I've thought about it. And I, for that reason, I think I've seen it. I don't know if you've seen this also, but the generational gap between people who, I mean, you know, the young people who are making these memes and the older people who may be seeing right. these memes and not understanding that they're usually sarcastic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they might not get, they might not see see a meme of Trump and think, you know, and laugh or, and be angry or have any of those reactions. They may just think like, oh, yeah. He believes that, you know? Right. <laughs> you know? And just that that's the end of that. Like, take it more literally. Yeah, yeah I could um, see it going that if, way. And I could also see it going in a way where, like, if you do see things and you interpret them as being kind of, like, derisive, then you might, like, derisive? Derisive? Derisive. Um, <laughs> that you might view that, that might kind of embolden you a little bit. That might, in reaction to that, you might feel even more strongly about supporting that person than you did before because you see people criticizing them on such a huge level well if you make someone defend something they will be even more you know they will get defensive and they will get even more supportive of that that's i there's definitely been studies on that (laughs) like that that creates attachment obviously and that creates like you feel like you have this connection to that person or to that thing because you've 
fought for it essentially right yeah that's a i mean we kind of got away from hashtags there but i think that that's the role of i don't know turning and this is something we'll probably talk more about in later episodes too but like turning um social movements into hashtags in a way that can be so beneficial in exposure but can also kind of lend this um this digital like lack of reality almost or people can see like i think sometimes general public opinion can view something like black lives matter as being um something that doesn't actually have a lot of weight behind it because it originated online um whereas people in in Mm -hmm. our generation i think we can see a lot more how the internet is just a way for people to connect who are already doing things like black lives matter as a movement might be new, but the message of it is something that activists have been, you know, working on for, for years and years. Yeah, exactly. That It's not, it's only new in, in the sense that, you know, there's kind of a, a label on it in the past couple of years. It's really interesting to see how some of those have taken off and how others have kind of died away yeah. as well. Like, I'm trying to think of one that is not really um, active anymore. Man, I wish I had. I wish I had a good list, like a right. good solid list of these yeah. hashtags, because I know there are so. There many absolutely are ones that that, that will pop up, and and you'll see them, and people will kind of talk about it for a couple weeks, and then it'll kind of mm-hmm. go into obscurity. Um, yeah. Or maybe it just Most won't be as commonly used as other ones, or maybe it'll get absorbed into other ones, or things like that. Right. But then there are ones that really do stick around, like. Um, no DAPL is like a big one that really kind of stuck recently. Mm-hmm. And really, I think, contributed to there actually being resolution to that issue, which is interesting to see a direct correlation between those two things. Yeah. How, how much do you think that how much do you think that really that impact the actual outcome of that situation? Yeah, I guess that's kind of a it's hard to know specifically because it's so different. But I think the exposure of it was something that people hadn't seen for a really long time. I mean, people, uh, native people in America and in Canada have been have been protesting pipelines and fracking and all these sorts of for as long as right for as long as we've been you know stealing their land and using it for these purposes, they've been protesting it essentially. Um, and I don't think that there has in modern times been as large of an exposure to that issue as this specific instance. So. I think that it made a lot of people aware of it in a way that they hadn't been before, um, which obviously helps, mm-hmm. you know, if you have more people who are concerned about an issue that can directly correlate to, to the amount of people trying to fight for resolution. And then, I mean, we also saw the, yeah. the thing where right towards the end of this, which is kind of curious if you think about it, the, the group of veterans who um, went to Standing Rock. Um, oh, I didn't see Yeah, that. like mm-hmm. a huge group of veterans, and there was um, a... Um, what's that one crowd the crowdfunding website not um the really popular one but the other one i can't think of either of their names not kickstarter but the other one gofundme there was a gofundme page that got like all this money to send these veterans to standing rock and essentially their goal was to form like a human shield around these protesters so that the law enforcement wouldn't be able to you know harm them um i think that something like that like even those veterans going to do that i don't think would have happened without the exposure of this on the internet um because it because people saw it right 
that led to them giving money to this. Yeah, and I think that that group of people going there specifically was such an interesting um, kind of story to a lot of people, and it got a lot of media traction. And then from that, we saw, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers blocking the construction and, and rerouting the um, the construction yeah. of the pipeline, which yeah. is, so there are kind of those steps of correlation that you can take, but I guess it would be hard to nail it down to like a percentage of like, it was, the hashtag was 40% of why yeah, it happened, it, it, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, nothing is, is that scientific right. usually. But I do think, um, I do think we can kind of, at least with some level of assurance, say like there probably wouldn't have been resolved maybe at least as quickly if this hadn't happened. And I think that's how it is with a lot of online right. social, social movements is that they speed up things that probably would have happened, but wouldn't have happened as quickly. That's really true, especially with a lot of these protests and, you know, movements like that are specifically trying to accomplish one thing or trying to raise awareness for a, you know, a very specific issue. It can definitely like, it can catch fire very quickly. Yeah. Yes. And I think that was definitely a big, I mean, we've kind of gotten away from reviewing the year at this point. Um, But I think that that (laughs) was even more prevalent this year than it has been in the past. I think we saw things like this happen with, uh, with Ferguson and, um, Mike Brown and, and yeah, last that year. was in, yeah, um, it was, was it? I'm so bad with remembering when things actually happened. 2015. <laughs> so last year was last year. Oh my gosh. Wow. We, just, we need to do a 2015. I know <laughs> just to catch ourselves up to what's actually happening. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, basically this is just becoming more and more an element of our culture. And obviously again, there's good elements of it and there's bad elements of it because there are just as many weird uh, social move extremist movement things that happen on Twitter right. that are kind of flash in the pan that the, I know, I mean, we can look back at something like Gamergate that happened. I don't know if you even know about that to, uh, no, okay. Don't. <laughs> um, that obviously didn't pick up as much, but it was essentially this huge her- movement of, of harassment against women in the gaming industry. Oh, so wow. there are, there's kind of these positive and negative instances of it where, and again, that was a hashtag that was hashtag Gamergate. Um, people use these hashtags to kind of build these coalitions. And I think they can do that in positive ways and in negative ways, which is kind of scary. Yeah, no, for every, for every, you know, social movement that could create positive change, there, there are also probably just as many negative ones. Right. Um, I mean, or, or just, you know, plain controversial ones like um you know all lives matter or you know i i know a lot of people a lot of people also dispute the the sincerity of using hashtags in these social movements i don't know if you've seen this on your facebook feed but at least at least every every event that happens at least five people will write a facebook essay about <laughs> how using a hashtag doesn't mean anything oh and, my god you know we like the term facebook essay <laughs> just that's great <laughs> no it's a real term it's a real term i i did not coin it but it it's a that's a shady thing, term sadly. right there there's so much <laughs> hatred behind that <laughs> From me. From everyone, whoever created that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, but tell me you haven't read one of those. I, have, I know you don't. I don't really do but. Facebook, but I definitely have read a Facebook essay, I guess. See, and that's saying something. The fact that you aren't even on Facebook and you've read Facebook yeah. essays. Yeah. That is, I think that speaks to how prevalent they are. They're very pervasive. And how they need to die. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's kind of a topic that <laughs> we want to talk about fake news at some point in that whole um, issue and the the responsibility of writers and and publications with that i think we'll probably do that more in a later episode but this definitely kind of ties into that for sure but i mean what other 2016 highlights do we have there let's <laughs> <laughs> say the word highlights i feel like that's a little a little misleading um <laughs> not to be debbie downers yeah no um since we are on such a a dark note it might be good to kind of lighten it up and move sort of away from news at this point i guess um yeah and social movements and you know extremist groups uh hashtags and hashtag <laughs> harassing women on the internet you know like that's those aren't fun topics um something that i kind of wanted to bring up about 2016 because as i as we were talking about potentially doing this um this review episode i was just sort of looking back on on um like you know, Googling top albums of 2016 and top movies of 2016. And when I was doing uh, top movies, I was kind of surprised to scroll through them and see that essentially 80% of films that were out there this year, that at least were popular this year, were some form of uh, sequel or reboot or even just the first entry in a franchise or something that's clearly part of a franchise, even if it isn't in name. So like I would even put something like Dr. Strange in there because it's part of this overall Marvel thing where they're kind of all the same in a sense. Um, yeah. And I would just kind of, I'm curious about, I don't even know how deep we can go with this discussion. I'm kind of curious though about what the motivation is there. Like, is this, purely nostalgia that we just want to see these things that we're familiar with is it an easier way to to get our attention maybe because we're so saturated with media now you need a stronger hook to get us into something than just like this is a another movie about something random and jogging people's memories might be a more a better way to do that to to hook them in than to come up with something completely new and try to garner enthusiasm about that you know instead of you know going with the safe option which is we we already know everyone likes marvel movies and everyone likes you know they're successful generally so make another one you know it's just you know it's it's kind of that that mentality yeah it's like if it ain't broke don't fix it just like keep kind of doing what's working and if it stops working then we'll think about adjusting i guess something that I've seen a lot of conversations this year, um, especially in in relation to Ghostbusters and things like that, about the value of of rebooting these franchises or or what we're looking to get out of it. Um, The question to me, I guess, that's most interesting, though, is do you think that do you think that it's inherently bad? Like, do you think that retreading all of this old material is inherently always going to be um, less like creatively exciting than just coming up with something new or is there room for this to be better than an original idea? No, I think there's definitely room for that. I mean, you mentioned Ghostbusters. I mean, I'm, that's such a, a hot button topic. (laughs) Um, cause I'm not, I'm not one of those like OG (laughs) Ghostbusters fans. Um, 
but I liked that movie. I liked what they did with it. I liked that, you know, I, and I've seen both, so I, I could see, I could see how they kind of did a twist on something, you know, something classic, and and made it made it a little edgier and a little, you know, they obviously did did a lot with, you know, having an all female front runner cast. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's, I think those things are positive and can add a new new value to those old yeah pieces of work yeah i i think i agree with that too and i think that i would also point to something like stranger things that came out this year um Mm -hmm. as being i mean if you've seen like five 80s movies you've seen the entirety of stranger things basically but it also (laughs) connect (laughs) you probably haven't (laughs) (laughs) yeah so stranger things is like totally taking you by surprise um (laughs) totally a new and I think, yeah, but that's interesting to me because for some people it was a totally new experience. I'm obsessed with 80s movies, so nothing in it was shocking to me. And a lot of the, the imagery was familiar um, and a lot of the character tropes were familiar, but I still found something engaging in it. And I, I don't know that I can really pin down why is yeah. the thing. Like, why was this interesting to me? Was it just because it's things that are familiar to me kind of repackaged in a modern version? Or is was it genuinely Maybe. good? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it could just be the way it's presented to you. I mean, the doing a show in 2016 and making it, you know, exciting and suspenseful is different than any 80s movie that you're going to watch. You know, like, it's it's still different. Right. But, yeah, I see what you mean with what you're saying. Like, why specifically? Yeah. Yeah, I guess there is value in sort of being, uh, treating these things kind of iteratively, like looking at each new thing as a progression from the last one. I think that sometimes that obviously doesn't, isn't the case. Like, mm-hmm. I know, I think the new, the new Jason Bourne movie came out this year and a lot of people complain. I didn't see it, but a lot of people complained that it was just kind of retreading all of the old movies into one new movie, <laughs> um, which I think can kind of happen, um. But I think that in a lot of cases, people really do connect with this stuff. And obviously, we're still going to see it, regardless of all this discourse we want to have about it on the internet. People are still going to see these movies, regardless of how controversial they are. Yeah, that's, that's, I don't know that it's impacting box office uh, numbers too much. Yeah, like some dude's like Twitter rant about Ghostbusters isn't really going to like take a huge chunk out of the Ghostbusters box office. No, not not really or maybe maybe um, it will like maybe I as mean, it goes it'll get worse or something i don't I don't really know <laughs> i don't i just wasn't really excited about any movie that came out this I feel year. exactly like, I the just same way yeah i'm just i'm just not super stunned with anything right. i didn't go see everything by any means but there was nothing that i was particularly psyched to go see in theaters you know i just didn't didn't feel it yeah I mean, they're not to say that some things I saw weren't good. Like, I saw Arrival a few weeks ago. Like, I liked that, but it's a different feeling when you're, like, looking forward to something coming out for three months. Yeah. It does, and you're like, oh, my God, I can't wait to spend $15 on this. <laughs> yeah, I think that the, um, the Star Wars movie, I think it's actually coming out tomorrow. I think that's the only thing that I'm genuinely, like, excited to see and have been excited to see all this year. Which, okay, so I'm a Star Wars, like... <laughs> You're one of those people who's probably really confused Um, about what the concept of this movie is, aren't you? Just a little. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm starting to figure it out. I just, 
What? Okay, so like, what's the second movie about? What second movie? <laughs> the one you're talking about that's coming out soon. Like, what is? Because okay, so this is the second one. No, in, like, the new series. That's where so right? many people are getting confused. Oh my god! This is a separate. Yeah, this is oh so god. interesting. That Shut I wondered if people up. felt this are way, and now I have confirmation. <laughs> yeah, no, this is not the second part of that series. <sighs> it's also led that's by so a, a British woman who's white with brown hair but it's not it's a prequel it's it's a separate movie entirely wow okay yeah well that's unnecessarily convoluted i know right especially to release it the year after like i think people are are very confused yeah so it's a prequel to the new movie that came out last year it is a it's a prequel to the original series are you kidding me (laughs) wait so they're they're going back (laughs) pre they're going back to the like the way back beginning the way no and doing a prequel but prequel to that. well oh my god see the star wars timeline is so <laughs> convoluted okay so there were the three movies right with like luke in them or whatever you know that right yes okay okay yeah so then they did three prequels to those is it a prequel to the prequel no it's after the prequels but before the originals <laughs> <laughs> that is some dumb ass i shit. know oh my god <laughs> controversial opinion you just asked like who are our first trolls gonna be the answer is star wars fans they're coming for you right now (laughs) i know i'm like locking my doors right now (laughs) they're coming they're gonna find a way in um (laughs) that is so funny yeah i've been wondering if people are just super confused about what the heck is going on in this movie uh yeah and that's what's going on it's set in a weird point in the timeline I wonder if they're, like, why is that? Is there something that there's, that's just so special that they're going to do in this movie that they, like, had to make it um, well, in, for this? So in the original three period. movies, um, there was, you know, so you know what the Death Star is, right? I'm just, well, we can probably cut this out. I'm literally just explaining Star Wars to you right now. <laughs> but you know what the Death Star is, right? I know, I'm, like, so genuinely curious. Though. Okay, yeah. so mm-hmm. the Death Star, there were, um the rebels needed like plans for it so that they could figure out how to destroy it. Like they were looking for a weakness. So there was a team of people that are like very briefly referenced in the original movies as having gone to steal those plans. Um, This movie is about those people. Literally there. It's about one line from the original movies. What? Yeah. This is all too much. It's a lot. Star Wars fans, though, are really excited for it. And I'm excited for it. So I think it'll be good. Um, But let's move to our next topic away from (laughs) me explaining Star Wars to you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, which is significantly more exciting. Right. Yeah. So for both of us. The last thing that we wanted to talk about, because I think it was the biggest, I mean, screw election 2016. This was the biggest story of the year for me. Probably the most memorable moment of 2016 for me was. Um, Beyonce's Lemonade. I mean... Can we just have a moment <laughs> for a second? <laughs> okay, so I just have to, like, disclose real fast that, as with most things, I was a late comer to mm-hmm. this. Like, I watched it maybe, like, two months mm-hmm. ago? Somewhere in there. So, yeah, it it was after all of the, all of the fanfare. Yeah, so you were post-discourse. Post. Yes. Yeah, it was way after that. Um, And I did pay attention to, you know, like loosely paid attention to what was being said about it. But yeah, I finally got around to watching it. 
two months ago, so my thoughts are a little bit more fresh. I okay, guess. that's actually good. Um, unless you've unless you've rewatched it recently. <laughs> I've rewatched portions of it. This is super dorky, but I have a a mix of it that someone made on YouTube. That's just the poetry taken out of it, and I listen to that sometimes. Oh my God, that's so you. <laughs> Oh my and then god. I, oh my god. And then Riley. I'll also listen to I have an audio rip of the whole thing. So sometimes I'll listen to the whole thing with the music and the poetry together. Um I'm dead. Yeah. Dead. I had uh, as with most That's things I'm the amazing. opposite of you, the early adopter kind of person. I watched it when it came out. I saw tweets that it had was on, you know, Tidal. So I went on Tidal and I got my um trial like everyone has done for this, for Pablo, for whatever. And I watched it and I literally, I remember laying in my bed and like watching it. I remember so vividly. I remember crying at least four times. Um, at least four. At least four. I definitely could probably go back and pinpoint the exact moments if I were to watch it again. I definitely have watched it again since then. Mostly now I'll just like, I'll think of a certain part of it that I want to see. But it, I, I mean, in terms of, yeah. if we're talking about media in 2016, literally nothing had a bigger impact on me as like a, a writer or as a person then than lemonade did for sure oh my god <laughs> this is getting so bad but seriously like Keep this going. is how okay okay because here's <laughs> okay let me give just my whole like monologue about lemonade do it what it felt like to me was that because we've seen visual albums before right and we've seen visual albums from beyonce also she did the same thing with self-titled um but yeah. I think what we saw with Lemonade was actually a narrative. And we saw something that I think is happening more and more um, post this coming out. We saw a musician and a performer um, and an artist also becoming a storyteller in a sense that is kind of familiar in some ways from, from work in the past. I think it's something that was more common then, like to really have... Mm -hmm. To really be a storyteller was something that was more common, I think, in music in like the 60s and 70s. I would point to like Fleetwood Mac albums that definitely you can feel the story beneath them. Um, yeah. And I think that what she formed here was really, um, it, and obviously it was so controversial too, the narrative of it, whether it's real or whether it's fiction or, or all these things. Yeah, I saw a lot about that. Right. So that's actually one of my about, questions. Like, whether or not we should take it like as her, right? As her actual narrative, or whether or not she was telling a, a story that was, you know, wasn't specific to anyone, or, um, you know, was about something else entirely, or maybe it was a metaphor for <laughs> something else in her life. Right. You know, like it could be anything. Do you think? And there was a lot. This has kind of my been my thought on it for a while. Is like. Do you think that in our analysis of it and in our viewing of it, that it actually matters whether it's true or not, or whether it's just a metaphor, whether, like, do you think we should view it differently based on having that information or not having that information? That's a good question. I, I personally don't. I mean, for me, when I watched it, it, it's not, you know, I, I took it in as you know, as fiction, I mm -hmm. think, just generically. I, I think I just, you know, that's kind of my default thing to do. Like when I'm, unless someone is, is very specifically talking about certain people or, you know, like say in, in, in rap, when rappers mention other rappers, I'm like, yes, okay, I know who that is right. or who they're talking about. 
but typically I'm not really I'm not thinking of it as reality I'm thinking about it as you know them telling a story like you said and to me that's that's what it was um but I also but you know then again like it's hard not to think or at least speculate about what it might mean as <laughs> as a story you know it it if it was actually something that she was trying to say about her life and her personal experience or or maybe someone else's life and their experience you know what yeah because I, mean? I, I also saw but, speculation that maybe this was the know. story of her mother and father not actually the story of her and her own relationship right um and obviously that we don't have yeah. any like substance to to back any up any to like back up any of that speculation but I think it is interesting, and I think it shows the depth of the story, the fact that we can consider it in all these different lights, that it's not definitive, and that it's not clear. Like, she she never makes a statement that this is her life or that this is fiction. Like, there are multiple ways to perceive it. It can be interpreted, mm-hmm. yeah. It can, yeah, it can be interpreted to mean any number of things, and it, I think that is could be the point of that narrative is to say like this is a this is a common narrative this is a this is something that a lot of people can relate to and a lot of people have experienced Mm -hmm. you know what I mean right I think I I kind of know what you're getting at in the sense that I think there's something there about um I think this whole album you could really see was really clearly informed by her experiences as like a black woman specifically um and I think that there was a lot that she was communicating there about because it, it also goes so much farther than just that the the kind of narrative that's at the center of it because there's also this element of like um heritage and like passing things down through generations and kind of finding your identity i don't know there's so much especially in the poetry that she chose to incorporate into it there's a lot that you can draw from there and i think that that was intentional too i think that she wanted there to be more than just one one way you could perceive it or one thing you could take away from it right i think that's something that you would probably know more about from a creating writing standpoint like what she may have been trying to accomplish there because for me i mean that's i mean that's not how i write you know like Mm -hmm. i don't write for that purpose so i think that i think that's probably something that you probably have more insight into yeah i mean it's kind of it's almost hard to say because I write things myself. It's hard to say like, this is kind of where I feel like she was coming from. I think I can kind of have where I would be coming from if I had made those choices. Like to me, I think the inclusion of, mm-hmm. of poetry says to me, you know, if, if she had just been reading a story in those interludes instead of, uh, reading poetry, I think I would see the the mm. whole thing overall very differently. I think I would see it more as a narrative that was supposed to be very clear and supposed to convey something very specifically to me. Um, I think the choice of poetry in particular and the kind of poetry that she included from um, Orson Shire, who's a, um, a um, British poet, I think, also a black woman and writes a lot about her experiences in that sense. So I think that's why there was a lot of crossover there you can see all these different levels beyond just the idea of infidelity or beyond just the idea of um, trying to come to terms with, like, something that a person you care about has done to you. I don't know. 
I just, because mm-hmm. I've never had that experience. So if that was all it was, I wouldn't walk away feeling like I cared about it, you know? Right, yeah. Okay, well, we're past an hour, so we should probably start wrapping up. Wow, that went by quickly. Okay, well, I think that's a good point to end on. Yeah, um. I think we've kind of, I think we've talked enough about everything that we had to talk about. I, we definitely went a little longer than we <laughs> expected. But thank you for listening mm-hmm. and um, look us up on social media. Our Twitter handle is at Blurring the Byline and our website is BlurringTheByline.com. Yeah, and I think that's so about it. And I think we're going to be posting every other week and it's going to be kind of a mix of different stuff. Sometimes it might be more news focused or more media focused, depending on just kind of what's happening at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any final thoughts? Anything to wrap it up? <laughs> No, I think that's okay. it. That's right. <laughs> I like almost started clapping. <laughs>